0: As I close out season three, I thought it'd be great to revisit some of the amazing conversations I've been so fortunate to have. This episode is about near-death experiences. These are amazing experiences of two guests, Mary McDaniel and Mariko Frederick. They're going to share their near-death encounters and the insights gained from their journeys beyond this life.
1: This is the Executor Help podcast. Learn how to settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, go to davideadie.com. Now, here's your host, David Eady.
0: Placed on a ventilator for lung failure in 1999, Mary Kathy McDaniel fought for her life in a drug induced coma for three weeks. Her book, Misfit in Hell to Heaven, Expat, is based on a story of MK's experience before, during, and after a dark, near death experience. Her family waited in prayer, totally unaware of the horrors MK was bravely facing and miserably enduring. In a seemingly internal hell, culminating in her eventual glimpse of heaven and a chat with her deceased fiance. Kathy, okay. thank you for taking the time to have this conversation. To say that you've been places is pretty much an understatement.
1: <laughs> Thanks, David, for having me on your program. So let's start
0: by maybe you could share a little bit with what led you to write Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat. What was the driving force behind sharing your deeply personal experience?
1: Uh, Well, as you said in the intro, uh, uh, in very, very, very late 1999, I'd been taking care of my best friend as he was going through a stem cell transplant in Seattle. And uh, what we thought was going to be just a two or three month gig turned out to be almost nine months of day and night caregiving. And so Um, I had my uh, ARDS hit me. That's the acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is lung failure. And they threw me in the coma and told me I wouldn't remember a thing because they were going to give me an anesthetic that would uh, take my brain offline. And it didn't. So uh, I woke up and uh, that was the beginning of a very wild ride when I got back in the hospital and My family was there and I was totally confused as to what had happened. And they kept saying, oh, it was the drugs. You'll forget about it. It's like a dream. It didn't go away for 10 years. I had nobody to tell the story to because nobody wanted to hear it. You know, who wants to hear about somebody's trip to hell? And my mother said, you know, what'd you do, Kathy, to deserve hell? I was like, "Ah, I couldn't come up with a good answer. So anyway, um, I kept getting this prompting to just, just write it out. If I could just write out this, what happened to me, maybe it would just disappear. I'd forget about it. Well, that didn't happen. And eventually um, I was hit with a bunch of synchronicities that drove me up to Seattle. And that's where I did run into the IONS people. Right. And that's the International Association of Near-Death Studies. And all those people said, oh, you just had a near-death experience? How cool. And so that was the first time I felt like I belonged someplace that somebody else knew about what I was going through, but none of them, uh, they, every month somebody give their story, you know, and, uh, they all talked about seeing angels and, and, you know, wonderful heavenly things. And I thought, well, you know, I had a little bit at the end there in heaven, but uh, most of mine was pretty, uh, horrible. So they explained to me that about, I don't know, four out of 10 people have some sort of distressing part of their NDEs, but they don't like to talk about it. And I understood that part. So over the years, I've, um, I uh, kind of read more books and met people that had the same thing. And eventually, um, I was pushed into writing the book because there's very few of them about it. And uh, then COVID hit. And I was stuck in my house for two years, and so I didn't have much to do. I had a typewriter, you know, my my little computer here, and I just uh, slammed it out. I had somebody from the IONS Group that said she was a publisher and just going out on her own, and she said, uh, "You write it, I'll publish it." And she turned me on to a editor, and you know, all these other things, and it just it just played out smoothly. And uh, so, yeah, I was prompted
0: so here, it, it so here you are.
1: Here i am i mean this was what i was sent back to do uh well, actually
0: it's funny you you said that you during covid you know two years you had you know what were you to do that's how i ended up writing my book you know really and, yeah, clearly so that you know it's you, you what we, you have this story this something you want to share and it's probably been in the back of your mind the whole time and unexpectedly who would know that the whole world would shut down and you'd have all this (laughs) hands and look what we both did was ending up writing books yeah great it's crazy now I know your journey took you through an incredibly vivid and intense near-death experience can you describe some of the emotions and sensations you felt during that time both in hell and in heaven
1: Well, David, I never thought I was dead. Um, Your soul is such that it's—that's who you are. This this body of ours is like a car. You know, our soul gets in this car and goes around Earth, and then when you're through with Earth, you get out of the car, and your personality, your soul, is still there. So I never knew until the very end that I was actually in hell. I just couldn't figure out what was going on, but it was scary. It was unpredictable. It was, um, I had to just keep moving because these scenes kept coming up. There was different segments and I never had time to ponder. Uh, I was just trying to run for my life and find a way out of this place. So it was, um, I don't recommend it.
0: Did When you say that you were running for your life, did you realize that you were in hell? Or did you say, well, what kind of place is this? Oh,
1: I said, what kind of place is this? You betcha. Um, But it seemed it it was somewhat familiar because what I figured out later is I had made this hell out of things that had happened in my life already that were hellish and -hmm. just made them bigger. So they were familiar. There was two instances where I saw living people that were relatives. Turns out later I had to give them both messages. Um, and one took it graciously and, and did better in her life. The other one I haven't spoken to in 20 years, she, she dropped me like a hot potato. So no, it was just like you opening the door tomorrow and all of a sudden everything's changed and you have no idea. You just opened a door and there it is. You, uh, you adapt. There's, there's no way to just sit down and say, well, this isn't real or, uh, I'm gonna wake myself up or any of that. It's just it was just like your life changed.
0: Yeah. It's so what was the the contrast of being in what you perceived as being hell? Uh, heaven, sorry.
1: Hell, hell so, at first and then heaven. Exactly. God. Yeah. Um hell. Um the first time I knew it was gonna be completely strange was when a demon showed up and wanted me to do a task for him, cutting down this huge Blackberry field with just a pair of uh scissors they give children. Um, I had never seen a demon before. It looked like a kind of a yeti, and uh, but he he had spoke perfect English, which I thought was strange. Um, but you adapt, you know. I mean, like if a a a spaceman shows up in your backyard, you'll roll with it, right? You just don't say, well, this isn't happening, and 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 go take a nap. You 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 have to adapt. (laughs) That's what I did.
0: And so in heaven was it more was it more calming what, did you feel more at peace there or what did you
1: uh, it's it's it makes you speechless it was like I I I, I liken it to being you, you go into a store and you're gonna buy a, a balloon for somebody and you pick out this little rubber balloon little thing is all weave and they put it on that machine that fills it full of helium and that balloon goes whoosh like this and all of a sudden it's filled with air that's what happened I was wrestling with this you know uh, talking to this terrible demon person and all of a sudden whoosh I am filled with this joy and bliss and love and I'm just uh, it was like being in this wonderful warm light and But you're kind of tumbling. I, I felt like I was tumbling over and this love was just going through me and around me. And uh, it was just wonderful. I mean, it's it was fabulous. So it was totally different. That was something I've never felt in my whole life. It was like everything that was wonderful that ever happened to me times a million. And uh, I, I was just so, I, I forgot everything else. There was nothing else but this love. And then as it started to kind of coalesce a little bit, um, I was still full of this joy. And and I saw my friend who had died the month before that I'd been taking care of. And and he looked wonderful. I mean, when you die of leukemia, you don't look very well. And he looked great. And he was smiling. And he was happy to see me. And, and what came to my mind was, oh, criminy, he, he doesn't know he's dead. <laughs> you know, I didn't think I was dead. And he's really starts laughing. And, and then I thought, wait a minute, you know, if he's dead, then I, I must be dead. And this is heaven. And the news didn't get any better than that. So I said, you know, come on, let's go see stuff. I'm so glad to see you. Come on. You know, and he came over and he said, now Mary Kay, you've got too much left to do. And it took me about two seconds to f- figure out they were throwing me out. I mean, uh, I was, I was amazed. I was furious. I said, "No, no, uh-uh," and whoosh, back I went, and woke up out of the coma. I was very angry. I'll tell you, and disappointed. I did not want to be here. I, I don't, no. It was some place that I, I wanted I want to get back to. I, I realized that was home um, it was just home. it was so comfortable to be there and uh, I look forward to going back. I look forward to getting done what I'm supposed to do and going home.
0: Yeah it, it's inc- intriguing how your experiences in the afterlife seem to mirror some of the traumas uh, you know from your earthly life. How did those parallels shape your understanding of your journey and its purpose?
1: well you know being back and and meeting all those people from IONS and 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 then for another 10 years uh listening to their stories and what you know it was it's like everybody goes up there that comes back heaven is i mean is god and god is love but it's it's it's, it's so immense that we can just come back with a little piece of the puzzle so i came back with my piece but i got to talk to a lot of other people that came back with different pieces And uh, most of them that stayed for any length of time uh, tell about this life review that we all get. They tell us that, uh, you know, our souls are part of God, that we start off in heaven, we decide we're going to go to earth, we're going to learn things, we're going to, earth is school. And we come down here and we have our our plan for our lives and uh, it plays out. We can use our, our free will to change things. We feel like we're going in a wrong direction on something. We've got our free will. It's not God being a puppeter, puppeteer. It, it, we plan our lives. So a lot of things changed for me around that. Um, I think one of the main thing was I no longer feel like a victim when something happens to me. I say, oh, well, I plan that. Uh, there was for a reason. There's something I'm going to learn out of it. And I, and I can relax around things a lot more. Uh, I'm a lot lighter. I know everything's going to work out fine. It's all going to be good. Um, whatever's happening on this planet, it's a very dense, dark planet. It's never going to be perfect. This is where our souls come to kind of play stuff out. Um, and, and those things I didn't experience myself, but I I believe all these other people because there's so many of them, there's millions on the planet right now that have had near death experiences. And it doesn't matter if they're in, you know, New Jersey or if they're in London or if they're in Australia, it's amazing how similar their stories are. So it's, um, it changes you. It just changes you.
0: Let's talk a little bit because, you you know, you had so many experiences. I just want to hone in a little bit on an, an encounter you had with your deceased fiance in heaven. Mm-hmm. It was heartwarming, you know, the parts that I've read so far in the book that um, could you tell a little bit more about the that conversation and, and the impact it's had on your perspective?
1: Well, the only thing he said out loud was now, Mary Kay, you've got too much left to do. And that that's huge. It, it left me with the knowledge that we all have things to do down here. It's not just willy nilly. It's, it's not, it's all a, got purpose. And that I, um, when I got back, David, I mean, I had been in a coma for three weeks. I lost uh, so much weight with it. You know, they just feed you with a nasal tube and, and I, I weighed 86 pounds. I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't, couldn't move. The next day, the doctor came in to do a muscle test. I could blink and move one finger. Uh, I overheard him say to my mom, you know, uh, we don't know how much brain damage she's got. She'll probably never work again. I was 53. I had my own company. You know, she'll she'll, she'll need help. And and I thought, I got too much left to do and I can't move. I was furious. I was overwhelmed with, with the idea that I couldn't go home till I got all this stuff done but god is good and i had a, have got a good plan and and i got my health back i worked very hard to get my health back and then i I went through all that dark night of the soul for 10 years and then i found my family up and at the ions meetings it's it was it was my path that i i chose it kept me going those just those few words you've got Mm -hmm. too much left to do it it well, gave see, some purpose. It,
0: to it my seems life. like uh, you clearly have some things still left to do because you know your friend that you were taking care of told you you know as much as you were enjoying being in heaven, <laughs> and then also then your your uh, your, your deceased your fiance saying the same thing too. So clearly oh,
1: they're that the
0: same purpose. guy. They're the same guy. Oh, it's the same guy. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So then it's a so <laughs> clearly. It stuck out that you have to, you've, you're, you're back here for a reason. Now, what do you say to people? Because, you you know, you found sort of a, a community, you know, in uh, the, I what is it? The International Association of Near-Death Studies. So you found a yeah. community, found people who've, you know, been through what you've been through. What do you stay, say to the skeptics saying, well no, it's, it's, it's a lot of hogwash or, you know, yeah. uh, maybe... In, in what you're saying and this group of other people are saying what you're saying actually didn't happen that where well, you say you went didn't happen what do you say to people everybody's got that?
1: their own opinion and um uh, the doctor told me i could remember nothing that happened and i still remember it 24 years later uh that's because it happened in my soul and not in my brain or in my body um if it was a dream i can't remember a dream after i wake wait- up much less 24 years later it wasn't a dream and um there's just been too many people that have been doctors whatever that have already um talked about consciousness and um a lot of people in our group were physicians and doctors and all that. And they came back thinking, wait a minute, how did this happen to me? I don't believe in that kind of stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of them started off as atheists they're not atheists anymore, you know? So I came back to, to just tell my story and to tell people that God is all loving, all forgiving and condemns no one. All right. If you want to go to hell You do what I did. I was raised a Catholic. I was taught from an early age that I would not go to heaven straight away. I would go to purgatory, which was like hell, but you get out. So I believe I manifested that experience. It is not the norm. There are people that have had the same thing happen in their lives. And they tend to have segments too of things that happen to them. So I believe that that it was a manifestation. And I believe that God doesn't condemn anybody. Um, I'm here to warn people (laughs) that if they're in a culture or a religion or a family that is telling you that if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. If you don't believe that, you're going to go to hell. That's not true. And they need to disentangle that bad message out of their their souls and, and learn to believe in God's goodness. We do get a life review and you do get to have the actual sensations and feelings of how you interacted with people on earth if you're kind and generous and nobody is this way all the time. I mean, we're human, but you get to feel how that loving Uh, that loving feeling back if you've been mean and snarky to somebody you're going to be able to feel their pain and this is not a judgment this is just karma what goes out comes back in Um, it's just um, a way to kind of see how you did on on your lifetime Um, it's so totally different than what we were taught
0: With me today is Mariko Frederick. She is the founder and CEO of Soul Priority. Mariko's unique approach stems from her ability to help people around the world discover and embody the assignment on their soul through what she's termed the four soul archetypes. Mariko, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. We had quite the conversation before we went on. On um, you know, I push uh, play here, and I, I know we're going to have a really great conversation.
2: Yes. Thank you for having me on. That was a great conversation.
0: Well, but it's, it's, it's only going to continue. I don't it want is. people to think that, Hey, maybe they missed out something. There's, there's still lots more we're, we're going to, uh, you're going to teach and I'm going to learn uh, from you. Now I know you wrote the book soul priority, and we're going to talk a little bit about, about that a little later. And I know you wrote it in, because you say we need to make more conversations about the human spirit. What happened in your life that made you want to uh, make this your life's work? Uh, did anything happen to you? Because I know you had a near-death experience.
2: Yeah, I think that would be the moment. You know, before that, I had to practice in alternative medicine, and I was happy. I was a rock climber. Everything was going well. And I felt like I had reached the pinnacle of my life, right? Like, this is what I'm here to do. And then I died. And everything changed after that, as you can imagine,
0: Okay, and but when you happened, say you died, what how did we have... I had a
2: near-death experience? So right. I got injured and sick at the same time. And the illness nobody knew about it turned out to be Lyme disease um, from a tick bite. And that took three and a half years to figure out what was wrong with me. And before that, I'd had an injury. I don't go into detail about it because it triggers people, but I was injured by somebody practicing medicine without a license or education. And I didn't know that. So I don't go into that because people get really upset by, okay. by what happened. Um, so we'll leave it at that. Um, I healed, I recovered, it took 10 years. And during the near-death experience, I, and, and you know, to go back a little further, I had seen quite a bit of death and I, and you know, in my book, I talk about how I used to work in a trauma intensive care unit. So my p- viewpoint of death is that it's something that you fight against, right? That we should avoid, that it's scary and, and you should fight for life and we should. However, during my near-death experience, I, one, I'll say right off the bat, if, for those who are wondering, I never felt more alive. And two, I was given some information um, about the four soul archetypes. But the interesting thing is, I couldn't access it for a long time. So it was like living with this, this this um, what I call a soul assignment, living with something I knew I was here to do, but I couldn't access what that was. And once I did access all of it, it was 17 years later. And I knew I was here to help people live their soul assignment. And I've been doing that for a long time. But then, you know, a few years ago, all the information came through. And then that's when I published my book about a year, just over a year ago.
0: Okay. So let's get back to your little bit of the uh, the near-death experience, because I you know a lot of people would think, well, I'm not really, I don't know if I believe that. I know, you know, could you tell me a little bit about you, you talk about what happened after you took your last breath?
2: Yeah, um, you know, believe it or not, everyone's going to have the experience. So I guess that's the good part, <laughs> right? Everyone's going to have that experience at some point in their life. They're going to leave this world. And that's all you're really doing is leaving this world. Um, and it doesn't feel like you're leaving. It doesn't feel sad. Uh, in fact, there's just a lot of joy. So for me, after I took my last breath, I, you know, the pain was gone. And I remember just feeling like breathing was so overrated and I was so filled with joy and peace. And I just realized there is no death. So it's funny because we call it a near death. And yet it's you're not actually going to die. You just leave your body.
0: You know, so many people are afraid to talk about death. Was there something you realized after you died that you wish you'd known before?
2: There's so many things. Um, I mean, the first thing is don't be afraid, which is easier said than done, right? Because we're always afraid of the unknown, but I can say it's nothing to be afraid of. The other thing I think, a more practical thing that I can tell everybody is that, that, you know, what I was shown is that all the obstacles in my life, all the impossible things that I thought, oh, I can never do that. That's too hard, right? The obstacles that I would say felt like a 50 mile long wall, two miles high, and 50 miles wide, it goes down to like a little string sitting off the floor, six inches tall, and you just step over it. So all these obstacles that we have in our life that we feel are impossible. When you leave this world, you realize it it was never impossible. There was always a path for you.
0: Is there a way that you feel that you should prepare for death?
2: I think as far as preparing for death, it really, I mean, that's, I feel like what life is kind of about in a way and not because again, you're not dying you're just leaving this world and you're, you're moving into the higher, higher realms, higher, higher consciousness. um, And that is to strive to become a more conscious, kind, compassionate person. I mean, if there's one thing that you're, is worthy of, of living your life around, it's, you know, probably the golden rule and, and just being kind. And if you have a feeling, an intuitive feeling that you're here for more, that there's something you're meant to do, do it don't wait, don't tell yourself you can't do it, go do it.
0: Yeah, well, I know we're talking about death, again, makes people feel uncomfortable. You've talked about the near death experience. Another controversial subject will make people uncomfortable is the the afterlife. Um, What are your thoughts on it? Um, Does it exist? Did you experience it? And I know something happened to you during your childhood as well.
2: I did. Well, it didn't really happen to me. So when I was Born, I always remembered what happened before I was born, and I thought everyone did until I was a teenager. Until I was about eighteen, I thought everybody remembered all the details from before we come here. And I used to talk about it as a kid. I would talk about the place with all the lights and the love, and go into you know detail. And nobody would talk about it with me, so I eventually started to grow and think it was like a taboo thing to talk about. So I stopped. And then later, as a teenager, I somebody told me that nobody remembers. Them. And, you know, I shouldn't talk about that. And, you know, it's unfortunate because it's just part of who I am. Just like I remember my wedding day or my, you know, high school graduation. I remember my life before I incarnated. So for me, the afterlife and, you know, what happens in between lives is the same same place.
0: So do a lot of do you think a lot of people block it out or they don't know that they, they are um, are experiencing an afterlife?
2: In which which one? Before well, I or
0: after? Mean, after, you know, because maybe people have had these thoughts and they don't know what they are and they're not uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable to talk about. Whereas you, you were very forthcoming to say, this is what I see. This is what I remember. And then if it is brought up, other people are, you know, people have told you, well, you know what, you know, nobody else is doing that. Uh, nobody talks about it.
2: Yeah, well, I have a feeling some people do have maybe some memories or some inclinations. I haven't met anybody that has a full intact memory like me, but I'm sure they're out there. Um, and I think some people just some people I've met, they don't remember it, not in the detail that I can give, but they feel it, they know it, they they remember it on a way that they can't describe it or have language around it. Um, and I don't think remembering it is the important part. Honestly, for me, it gives me a reference point to share with others, but I don't think you're missing out if you don't remember it. I think that really it's about being present with your life, with your friends and family and yourself, and living a meaningful life, doing what you feel like you're here to do. And then that said, you know, you are the soul, you're not this body, right? I think we, a lot of people understand that, they know that, they feel it. So it's really like living a life and acting on behalf of your soul instead of your body and your ego and what society tells you. And, and there's nothing for your soul to do except be love, right? And radiate love and joy because that's all the soy soul really can do. There's no doing, it's just being. So when I talk about your soul assignment and doing what you're here to do, it's really living a life that's in alignment with your soul.
0: And you, that's- you also say it's a sort of a task that'll frighten and free a person you know, to be who they want to be.
2: Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of people holding back. They feel like they're here to do something, right? Like you, you knew you had to write a book, but how many people feel like they're going to write a book and they never do? How many people feel like they should be doing something bigger with their life, but they don't do it out of fear or negative self-talk saying, I can't do that, or it's too hard, or no one will take me seriously. But the thing is when you have those moments and feelings of, oh my gosh, I'm here to do something bigger, or I'm here to do, it doesn't have to be big, right? It can be, small, but I really want to go do this. It's about following your intuition and saying, so I'm going to do it. And the thing is, it is the scariest thing you do when you, you know, stepping out and writing a book and telling my story. It does, it's scary. Sure. But it also frees me up to finally be who I'm here to be. And I can say that for a lot of people who start their business or launch, you know, podcasts or books or whatever their story is, whatever their message is, it is scary, but it frees you to be the person you're here to be.
0: Do you feel that people are afraid to take that step or they hear those voices and they don't want, and that's, what's holding them back. Is it because of family situation, society, or is it their own, the voices in their head?
2: I mean, both, right. I think both, I think a lot of people, you know, had a rough childhood and they don't feel safe to expand into who they're meant to be. They don't feel supported by their friends or family. Um, I feel like, you know, there's that version of you who everybody used to know. But maybe you've become a new version of yourself, right? And so when they talk to you, it's like the way I put it, they're talking to your echo, they're talking to who they think you were, right? So for a long time, I could say my parents would talk to the version of me who was still 15, <laughs> not 15 anymore. <laughs> and so it's like, well, that's kind of like my echo. It's who I used to be. But do you see who I am now? And the answer, you know, well, oftentimes with parents is no, you know, because I'm still their baby or I was still their baby. But that happens, I think, all across the board with friends and families and colleagues. And so I would say in my experience and with the clients I work with, yeah, they come to me because they feel they're meant to do something bigger, something more, and they don't have the support. They have a lot of hesitation, a lot of self-doubt and fears. And then we work through that. And a lot of them have go- gone on to become, you know, selling authors and, you know, launch their business, whatever it is they want to do.
0: Yeah. I know part of your life's work is to help people to get them to their higher, as you say, astral and casual realms through your technique you call the higher higher therapy can okay, you tell me a little bit about what it is and what's the outcome that you yeah. are helping people work towards
2: so higher therapy it's funny i actually so on the business side i am trademarking it because i want to be able to teach other people how to do it so higher therapy didn't go through so right now i'm trademarking it as astral therapy so hopefully that goes through um and it's my it's just what I do. It's what I've done since I was a little girl. Um, I travel into the higher realms because it's what I remember for me. It's kind of like going home to my safe space. And so for years I worked as a healer and coach and mentor, and I helped people clear whatever they wanted to clear by, by going there and getting the answers and like, you know, clearing whatever had to be cleared for them. And now I've created my own modality, my healing modality of bringing them with me in a visualization to the higher astral realms, The astral realm is where we go after we leave this world. The causal realm is a world of thought and it's, it's a, it's a realm even higher than that, higher consciousness than that. So just a brief overview of that. And I bring them with me so that they can see who see and experience who they are as a soul experience, the astral realm. I mean, yes, we're human right now, but when we leave and we're the soul, you're not really attached to the humanness of, of this anymore. And get to decondition those limiting human beliefs that they have. And and then, basically imprint them with what they want to believe and have happen in their life so it starts happening so that's what astral therapy is it's so much fun um and i'm i'm grateful i get to do it it's it's so much fun
0: near-death experiences continue to puzzle people as to what goes on when it happens i want to thank mary mcdaniel and mariko frederick for sharing their stories this is what i learned from mary and mariko I got a glimpse into the impact a near-death experience can have on individuals and how it can change your perspective on life and death. So we need to explore the meaning and purpose of our lives to live it more consciously and compassionately and to think about the legacy you want to leave behind. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To catch up with all the latest from me, go to daviediede.com There you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.